This is the Extra Innings Podcast. We're going to Extra Innings. Like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Breaking down all the latest with the blue. Hosted by Dodger insider and award-winning reporter. You have one for most entertaining talk show host to listen to while on the way to work. David Vassay. the Extra Innings Podcast. David Vassay with you again as we talk some baseball all brought to us by Corona Extra. Find the fine life. Please drink responsibly. We have a great episode again for you as Ron Renicky, the former manager of the Milwaukee Brewers and Boston Red Sox, third base coach extraordinaire for the Angels and bench coach, just a guy that has so much great baseball IQ and knowledge to share. We will talk to him and I had a chance to catch up with him at Dodger Stadium before they head out on their road trip to San Francisco and Arizona. And it was actually on the day the Dodgers were celebrating the 40th anniversary of the 1981 World Series team. So you will hear from the great Ron Renicky coming up in just a couple of minutes. Also, Andre Ethier will join us from Parts unknown don't know where the ethier family summer tour has taken him this week but we will uh we will talk to andre about the player side and the player effect as far as the trade deadline the guys in the clubhouse well how does it affect them even if you're not the one traded and you know you're not the one traded but you feel like your team should help the big club to get over that hump so we will do all that and i know all of you are waiting for some trade rumors, so let's get to it. Batting leadoff, host of the Extra Innings Podcast, David Vassay. All right, as we record episode 17, the trade deadline is coming up in just four days or three days on July 30th, and everybody wants to know what I know. Well, here it is, and it's very simple. Whether you're talking about the Twins and Jose Berrios or you're talking about the Nationals and Max Scherzer or any other frontline starter, the conversation begins with Cabert Ruiz. It begins and ends with Cabert Ruiz. The people I've talked to around baseball and with different organizations, they all want Cabert Ruiz in a trade. They uh, don't want Diego Cartaya, who's not even taking batting practice with Rancho Cucamonga, I was told, and he's not playing and hasn't played in a couple of weeks. So um, everybody wants to know uh, what's going on with the Dodgers. Do they have a chance to get Scherzer? Do they have a chance to get Jose Barrios? And it all comes down to Cabert Ruiz. If the Dodgers are willing to trade Cabert Ruiz, they will be able to land one of those big names. And I know Scherzer is just a rental. That doesn't matter to the Nationals. They know the Dodgers need a starter. And the Nationals need catching. Same with the Twins. They need catching. And the Dodgers are very fortunate right now to have Will Smith, Austin Barnes, Cabert Ruiz, and Diego Cartaya, who's 19 years old and one of the best catching prospects in baseball when he's healthy. 
So uh, scouts are not dumb. Teams are not dumb. They go to watch Rancho Cucamonga play. They go to Oklahoma City to watch those guys play, and they want Cabert Ruiz. And do the Dodgers want to trade Cabert Ruiz? We will find out, but I am not inclined to believe that they do want to trade Cabert Ruiz, especially since the DH is going to come into play next year. But I will say this. The Dodgers have a few DH candidates for next year, including Justin Turner. And if you bring back Albert Pujols, wouldn't you say that he's a DH candidate on certain days? And when you're talking about wanting Will Smith in the lineup, knowing he's not maybe your best defensive option behind the plate, wouldn't you say the Dodgers want Will Smith to DH? So it's not like Cabert Ruiz is a lock to be the Dodgers DH or catcher next year. And the one thing I learned watching Mike Sosha manage the Angels, uh, being a National League player, having that aggressive mentality, once he was able to maneuver the roster and the Angels were able to maneuver the roster in the way that was better as far as the sum of the parts and not being locked in to move on, being your first baseman and DH, Mike Sosha rotated that DH pretty often. He didn't just have one guy. He would move guys around, including a speedster like Sean Figgins sometimes with DH. He would have Garrett Anderson DH. So my point being is the Dodgers have a lot of good players, and why lock yourself into one guy being your DH? Because everybody seems to believe that the DH is coming next year to the National League, but the Dodgers would put themselves in great position not to be locked in to one guy. So when you're talking about trade rumors and it involves the Dodgers, everybody wants to know, are they going to make the trade for Scherzer? Are they going to make the trade for Jose Barrios? And whether you're listening to this before July 30th or after July 30th, you will know the answer to that. And when your friends ask you, Uh, Are the Dodgers going to make the deal? You can just simply say it depends if they're willing to trade Cabert Ruiz, and that's what it's going to come down to. I've heard Tyler Anderson's name, the lefty with the Pirates, uh, being connected to the Dodgers and Mets. Tyler Anderson is not a sexy name, but he's a guy that has stayed healthy and has an ERA of four with the Pirates and could help the Dodgers eat up innings at the back end of their rotation. Don't forget, Julio Urias, it's unrealistic to believe he is going to be fresh in October if you continue to pitch him every single fifth day. The Dodgers coming into this year did not want to do that. But out of necessity, here we are in July, and they are still doing that. The best thing that could have happened for the Dodgers and Urias was that all-star break, was those four days to give him extra days rest. And that's why certain starts, even though he's cruising, all Dave Roberts can do is, for the betterment of the big picture, is to take Urias out of the game after 80, 85 pitches. He can shorten or abbreviate starts because they do have to be mindful of him only pitching 90 innings last year, and now all of a sudden surpassing all the innings limits of any single season in his career, and also knowing they do need him in October. If they want to win the World Series again, they need a healthy and fresh 
Julio Urias. The Dodgers may be looking not only at Scherzer and Berrios, but like I said, if the price is too high, they'll have to turn their attention to a back end of the rotation type of pitcher. And Tyler Anderson was one of those guys that they were looking at. There is a lot of bidding wars going on, even for a guy like Tyler Anderson. The Phillies, the Mets, and the Dodgers were all in trying to pry the lefty away from the Pirates. And it's not like he's a top end of the rotation type of guy, but a guy that can eat innings and a guy that will start every fifth day and the Dodgers are looking for that type of pitcher just in case it doesn't work out with the big game hunting of Scherzer, Berrios or whomever else. So that's where that part of it stands but uh, the Marlins are a very intriguing team in all of this. That's where the rumors stand right now. It starts and begins with Cabert Ruiz and if you want more rumors, I got more rumors for you not related to the Dodgers, because the Padres are in on Scherzer, and Scherzer wants an extension. So if the Padres land Scherzer, not only do you have to deal with him for the rest of this year if you're the Dodgers, but there's a good chance you're going to have to deal with him for the next couple of years because the Padres will extend him. And as far as the Padres go, um, they're not done. Not done by a long shot, improving their offense. I have been told by two very good sources that the Padres and Rangers are in deep, deep talks for Joey Gallo. And Joey Gallo is a player that all of a sudden now, since pitchers have been stopped from using the sticky, has an OPS of 1,200. He's a different player now that pitchers are not using that sticky. And yes, it would be Eric Hosmer going to Texas along with some top prospects to bring Gallo to San Diego. That is very real. So keep your eye on the Padres and the Giants and Cubs have been conspicuously quiet leading up to July 30th. And I wouldn't be shocked to see Craig Kimbrell and or Chris Bryant in a Giants uniform after July 30th. So look at that and also look at the Marlins, Starling Marte, Pablo Lopez. Those two guys are coveted by the Giants. And honestly, if I were to trade Cabert Ruiz, I would make a trade with the Marlins for Pablo Lopez. That's how good he is. He could help you right now and in years to come under team control. So I wouldn't be surprised if the Dodgers and Marlins are also having discussions about one of their young starters and Pablo Lopez or Taylor Rogers. Because if the Dodgers are going to trade Cabert Ruiz, uh, those would be two pitchers I would do it for in a heartbeat. Not only because they can help you now, but they're under team control for the foreseeable future. All right, that's uh, what I got for you as we get closer and closer to July 30th and the trade deadline. All right, you are going to hear right now from one of the best baseball men, not only in the Dodger organization, but in all of Major League Baseball. He played for the Dodgers. He managed in the Dodgers minor league organization. In fact, he was Alex Cora's manager when Cora was coming up through the Dodger organization. He was the World Series champion bench coach with the Red Sox when they beat the Dodgers in 2018. He did take over for a year last season in Boston 
replacement for Alex Cora, but luckily he is back in the Dodger organization as an assistant to Andrew Friedman. And here is our conversation with Ron Renicky. Ron, thanks a lot for the time. Happy anniversary. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, that, that was quite a team, and, and uh, that was my first year in the big league. So I uh, got to spend it with all those guys, great team, and, and, uh, and unfortunately a week before the playoffs I did tear up an ankle and miss the playoffs, but, uh, but still a, a good year to come up, certainly. Ron, what do you remember the most about that team and those guys? Well, I remember, for one, I remember Rick Mundy, how he took me under his wing, and that really helped because I didn't really know how to be a bench player. Um, Rick was playing certainly more than I was, but he kind of told me what to look for and what to do as a pinch hitter, what to do when I go in for a defensive replacement. And uh, I'd played every day as, as a minor leaguer, and you come to the big leagues, and, and uh, you're a utility man. And, and uh, so I had a tough time with it, and, and he really helped me a lot. And then it was also just looking at the guys that had been there. You know, if you look at just position by position, that that really is a great team. The one thing that struck me from the outside was these guys had fun, but once they stepped between those lines, they were the fiercest competitors you've ever seen. Yeah, and I think uh, probably all eight guys that were there, certainly the pitching staff was good too, but the eight position players, um, there was, there was not much uh, screwing around going on during ball games. They were really serious really into it um there wasn't a whole lot of laughter going on out there it's a lot different than today's game yeah. and uh but it was a good way for me to learn uh how to play and sometimes you're you're a little intimidated when you come to the big leagues and and those guys especially rick uh help help me to to figure out some things two guys that a lot of those teammates talk about outside of the infield are reggie smith and dusty baker what made them so special for that team uh, well, both those guys, tremendous talent, obviously. Two different personalities, though. Reggie, serious. Uh, Dusty, serious, but but um, loved to talk. So, Bake was another guy, one of the starters that spent some time with me that really helped me in, in, uh, in the same thing. He was just, because he was in a different role, it, it's hard. I get to sit, you know, with, with the bench guys every day down there, and Dusty was out there playing, but... Um, but they're different. they were different personalities, but very talented guys. They could both hit really well, both good defenders. Uh, Reggie with tremendous talent, and, and, uh, and I got to see, you know, a lot of pretty special things from both those guys. The one thing that also I don't believe people think about is from that 1981 team, a lot of those players went on to have really great coaching and managerial careers like yourself. Uh, yes, I think um, not just the uh, physical abilities with that team, but but the mental side of it. Um, obviously, you know, Mike Sosha was with him for all those years, yeah. um, and he and he was, you know, he was kind of take take about to take over for Jaeger and, and be the everyday guy. Jaeger just unbelievably defensively he would come into a ball game late, and I was like, oh my gosh, this guy is some kind of defender. And uh, and to be able to to watch that mental side of it and what they put into it, Dusty became a great manager, you know, still is, and uh, and I think just the, you know, the the physical talent is there. It's there today, but there's a little different mental side mm-hmm. today than there was back then. Back then it was, you know, fundamentals were really stressed. The guys today are so talented; it's it's just ridiculous. I mean, they're hitting. They're hitting against pitchers that I'm watching 95 to 100 every day, 
and spin the ball better than they've ever spun, and they still hit the ball. So it's pretty incredible watching the athletes today. But that, that mental uh, aspect of the game when I came up to the big leagues, um, I think, taught me a lot. Ron, so would you say because of what you just described with the players today and how athletic they are, the edge is not so much in the IQ of the game as it may have been for when you played, or how would you say that the game has evolved in that department? Yeah, I would say because back then, you know, a, a shortstop could be just a defender. Mm-hmm. He didn't, you know, he, today's offensive shortstops are incredible. I yeah. mean, those guys, a lot of them can really rake. And, uh, and so back then it was, you know, if you could defend, you could play, you could be a starter at second and short uh, and in center field. Uh, defense was stressed a lot more then. Uh, the scores weren't as high. Uh, you know, in this ballpark, it used to play really big. Yeah, um, that's right. With today's athlete, you don't see that anymore. But it played, it was a little bit deeper, but it played big. And whether it's the baseballs, whatever, I know guys are so much stronger today. But um, but so everything was different. You won games 2-1 to one and 3-2, to two, and there weren't hardly any blowouts. Uh, you know, 10 runs was really almost unheard of then. So the game had, has changed quite a bit. The one thing that I'm always amazed by talking to you over the years is the way you see the game. Did you always see the game that way, or did it over time at this level kind of be part of you? Well, I think in the minor leagues, I, I spent a lot of time in the minor leagues uh, before, I got, before I came up, uh, and I hit all the different levels, A ball, and then high A, and then double A, then triple A. So... So I got to learn quite a bit. When I got to AAA, played for Del Crandall, who yeah. uh, taught me more than anybody in this game. Uh, so I learned a lot there. But when I came to the big leagues, and I think maybe it was sitting on the bench so much. It wasn't, I, you know, when you're out starting, you, you, you're worried about yourself. You're mm-hmm. concerned about what you do. When you're on the bench, you're watching everything, you know. And, and with talking to different guys on the bench, you, you're kind of seeing it all and you learn how to play. I know when I went to Philadelphia, Greg Gross and I would sit on a bench, and that's all we did is watch pitchers and, and watch are they tipping. And, and so he taught me a ton there. And all, all through the years, I got to sit with these guys that were really smart in the game. And, uh, and, and over time, if you're paying attention, if you care about it, you'll, you learn to see a lot. Maybe that explains in every sport why great players don't always make best coaches or managers but role players usually turn out to be the best oh i i agree i think uh i think you learn a lot more when you're doing that the the uh the superstar i know there's some of them that have been great coaches and managers but i think it's harder because they they're just they're so good at what they do uh that it's hard to put theirself in like my place yeah <laughs> maybe doesn't have as much talent <laughs> And how you know it just it's it's a difficult thing for a lot of those guys to do. Now there have been some great ones, and uh, played with Tony Gwynn, and as smart as he was about the game and knowing how to hit and teaching how to hit. Um, so there are still some, but yeah, I I think, and that's what they talk about catchers too, because the catchers, he's not just back there. He's concerned about the whole pitching staff. He's concerned about where the infield is. He's concerned about how the throws come into him in the outfield. So he gets to see the whole pitcher, and I think that's why a lot of times they make such great managers. That's the one thing I remember coming to Dodger Stadium in the 80s. Mike Sosha was like a manager on the field. He was an extension of Tommy Lasorda. Do you think that made a difference for those teams in the 80s that he played for? Oh, no doubt. Uh, when you have a guy that's that smart, uh, he's over actually over with our Olympic team right now trying to get ready. Um, but he, uh, he's a, one of those special guys that, 
I'm not he had ability but he didn't have great ability but he made himself a you know a starter for a lot of years just because uh, he was so smart upstairs. He could remember every single pitch thrown in a game. Wow. So if there was 150 pitches after the game, if you ask him, he could recall 150 pitches. I, I just can't even imagine that. That's um, that's way smarter than I am. I know that. And, and today's catcher, I'm sure, has no chance <laughs> no, to do that. No way. No way. <laughs> you know, they always talk about Cody Bellinger. We just saw him out here. And what's his best position, first base or center field? But for Ron Renicky. As a coach, as a leader of men, you were so good at third base. You were so good as a bench coach. You were so good as a manager. What is the best way to tap into the full knowledge of Ron Renneke? How do you maximize? How did teams, how do the Dodgers maximize what you have to offer? Yeah, well, I think that's part of the reason uh, Dave Roberts had called me and then uh, Andrew called me and talked to me about um, the experience and that they know that I see things and I know when I was here for that short time coming back in 15 uh, at third base coach and, and Andrew talked to me quite a bit about it and and uh, and I think as a whole just kind of seeing you know like you talked about I've, I've experienced a lot of different things and so you know I got to play first base I played all three outfield positions I I was a starter for a real short time but mostly a bench player um, so I know how it is, and I, I managed all the way up through rookie ball, you know, ex- extended spring training, A ball, double A, triple A, and then big yeah. league. So, uh, so I think just getting through all those years and all the things that I've seen, uh, and hopefully the value is, um, you know, and have common sense. Just don't tell somebody how to do something, but just say, hey, have you ever thought about it this way? I know that's how Dill Crandall kind of did it with me was he knew I was a good player, but hey, Ron, have you thought about doing something this way? Mm. And I would try it, and it usually always worked better. So, yeah. so I think that's important to, to continually, I'm continuing to, to learn all the time. It's a, yeah, it's a new generation. It, uh, they think a little differently, but y- y- you know, if you constantly adjust with them, you learn how to talk to them, you learn what's important to them. And, uh, and constantly just me learning things helps me to, to share what I've known. Don't you feel like sometimes the new school still needs to reference guys with experience that have been there and seen it in real time? How much of that has gone on here more than other places? Oh, no question uh, it's important. And, you know, when you're a manager, you have a little different voice. So, uh, so I, when I got to do it with Milwaukee and last year with Boston, you have a bigger voice, I guess, is what you'd say, and you can get into different areas. So I can get into pitching, you know, base running, hitting. You know, when you're a coach, you kind of specialized a little bit more. So, uh, so the voice is different. But now I'm back in that where I'm watching everything. I'm talking to the pitchers about different things. Uh, mostly with the pitchers, it's it's what we would do as base stillers against them, and it's nice for them to hear with a base stiller is thinking yeah. and, and how they can take advantage of the pitcher and so I'm in all different areas I'm talking about the hitters a little bit I, I certainly pay attention to the fielders and and how are, are they getting ready to field are they you know are they moving with when they know there's an off-speed pitch or, you know what are they doing to get that little bit of an advantage all right before I let you go you just brought up something that is a little bit of a weakness for this Dodger team and that's allowing opponents to steal bases and get into scoring position and forcing mistakes how have you assessed that and diagnosed that and do you feel like it's a point of emphasis to stop uh it definitely is a, a concern and yes we need to do something about it and i talked about it in spring training uh, started the conversations then 
Um, and I know, uh, you know, San Diego, you certainly, we play them, and they take advantage of anything that they see. They have a, you know, tremendous running team. So I've talked to, you know, three or four pitchers now and uh, trying to help them out and what they can do to, to stop that. Because really, and what I've told them is, the most important thing that they do with people on base is still make a good pitch to home. Yeah. It's the most important thing they do. So what we need to do is we need to quit thinking so much of how we have to stop these base runners because it, then it detracts from the pitch you're going to throw. So let's do something that's so simple that the, the runners can't take advantage of you, but yet you're able to make a good pitch home. Common sense. It is common sense. <laughs> <laughs> Ron, I love spending time with you. I would talk to you every day and bug you every day because you have a wealth of knowledge that I'm not sure has been tapped into after all these years, but the Dodgers are very lucky to have you back in the organization because you are a difference maker, and I mean that. Oh, thank you, David. And I, and I really I enjoy what I'm doing. I enjoy helping people now. Uh, I miss being in the dugout some, but I don't miss the grind every day. No, so, no. So this has been great, and the, and the front office has treated me fantastic. And Dave, really, you know, Doc has welcomed me, and, and uh, we've known each other, but not really well. But uh, all the coaches have been great. Ron, they're very lucky to have you, and great to have you out here at Dodger Stadium. And enjoy seeing your former teammates. That's true. It seems like there's a lot of former teammates. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we won't go there. We'll yeah. end it right there. Yeah, so thank you. Yeah, I enjoy this. All right. I hope you learned something right there. Ron Renicky, great stories of the 1981 Dodgers and also gave you some inside information right there on what the Dodgers are thinking as far as all these teams stealing bases. And that's the value of Ron Renicky. Yeah, the numbers are great. But I would trust Ron Renicky more than any number on any data sheet that was ever given to me. They have a great asset in the organization, in Ron Renicky, and I think we all learned something right there. My favorite. Uh, thank you. I'm glad to see you're not wearing khakis. Your favorite. And not everyone holds themselves to a high physical standard around here, but... Uh, Probably not Vasse's favorite. I know no one listens to your show, so... <laughs> <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> Just kidding. DV is joined by Andre Ethier. Another week with Andre Ethier, and I always say you're joining us from parts unknown because I have no idea where you are week to week. Well, that's, I, I keep that on purpose. I, I know no one else cares except you, and I want to make sure that I'm always in a hidden location, uh, you know, so you, you just don't pop up. Because, like, you know, you saw that a couple weeks ago. I'm at a Dodger game, and I'm trying to enjoy my, my seats out in the home run wall, and who, lo and behold, who's standing next to me with a microphone and a camera? You. <laughs> You're right. I, I think, you know what, we should take our relationship to the next level and you should allow me to track you. You should turn on your location tracker for me. Location services for Dave Assay only? Yeah, yeah. I want to know where you are. Yeah, I don't. At I, all I, times. For, for, for my sanity, I won't do that. <laughs> Hey Dre, you've uh you've been on both sides of this as we record episode 17. We are just 3 days away from the trade deadline and over the course of time, I you know, no matter what team it's been, players always come up to me like I have some inside information asking me what I know. Can you just describe the feeling in every major league clubhouse for a contending team that is looking to add and just, I don't know if it's anxiety, but how would you describe it? 
Well, I think it's a little anxiety in that Dodger clubhouse right now, just because of the fact and the position they're in, right? Um, you know, we're talked about as being, you know, the odds-on favorite, you know, once the year started, uh, you know, not only to win the West, but to repeat as, you know, the World Series champions. And, you know, to be in the position they're in, you know, obviously some injury, uh, you know, have came and, uh, you know, hampered their, uh, you know, their standing at this point. And you got a uncharacteristically hot, you know, out of nowhere, San Francisco team, uh, you know, keeping pace and keep it going. So, yeah, I, I could definitely say I, I, I know the feeling. I know, uh, you know, sitting in that clubhouse, being in this position, um, seeing the injuries you have, seeing the deficiencies you might have in all, you know, from pitching side to offensive side and, you know, wanting and needing something to kind of give that boost. And that's, you know, sometimes for a team that's this talented, that's all it is, is to give that little nod of a boost and energy and that little spark you need to push you forward. And some people are going to argue, uh, you know, Dave, we're here, well, they shouldn't need it. You know, they're, they're a team. But, but um, you know, it, it's a monotony season. Sometimes you need that uh, guy, that, that, that player that just kind of gives that acknowledgement that, yeah, we're going for it and we're going to go for it again. Um, and I think that's you know kind of what this this team's looking for right now. Is it a sign to players when an organization makes a trade that the front office believes in that team? Has it been a sign of that in years past? Yeah, and you know what, I I made a mistake as being a player of thinking that way, and because when you look back and we you know overall the I, I got a chance to be with some really good Dodger teams, and then a couple of years we weren't very good, and. You know, we never won a World Series. We were we had a lot of successful teams, made the playoffs many times, had far runs, had deep runs. And you look at the people you added, and you're like, wow, that helped. And then you look at some of them, you're like, we added, and we got just as far farther next year. And you're like, that player really didn't add anything. So um, you got to give credit, um, you know, to the way, you know, my, my years, the way, you know, Ned, you know, Coletti and his staff did. And then you got to give credit to the way Andrew and his staff, uh, you know, puts together a team. Sometimes – moves you make or too many moves, even player wise, you added a different personality, someone who's doesn't quite blend in with what's going on in that clubhouse. And that can be more of a distraction than it is a help. I've had players in the nineties actually tell me that they resented uh, when the Dodgers didn't make a trade at the deadline for a bigger name because they didn't want to trade a so-called prospect. A guy at the major league level, when you guys hear these type of names, even when you were playing early on, would you have that resentfulness towards uh, minor league players that teams and organizations were reluctant to trade to help the major league team? Well, Dave, I can say this because I lived two of those decades, not the 90s, but the 90s were different from the 2000s. The 2000s are different from the 10s, and these 20s are going to be different from you know when I was playing in the mid-2000s. So prospects the way they are i mean would you want to give up a you know a gavin lux a, a, a walker bueller uh you know for you know a chance of having uh you know a possibility of this guy helping you in the run it doesn't always work out that way so uh, i think prospects from the 90s you know especially high level prospects are a little bit different and seen different now um i just think the talent and the way these guys are prepared to come to the big leagues and have an impact is, you know, for the most part, a little bit different there. There's, you know, and, and the Dodgers have some depth in there, especially position player wise, that it's tough to want to give up one of these guys who is probably going to be on the team next year, helping this team win. So 
Um, yeah, you could say that maybe that was how it was in the past, but I think guys know enough now that a good young 21, 22 year old prospect is a tough thing to give up for a two month rental. All right. Speaking of next year, Chris Taylor is a free agent at the end of this season and no disrespect to Corey Seager or Clayton Kershaw or Kenley Jansen, but I feel like the number one priority would be to re-sign Chris Taylor this offseason. Well, he's right. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. We talked about this at the beginning of the year. Um, guys like Chris Taylor, um, you know, are, are you look around the game. There's a lot of there's a lot of guys trying to develop and, and teams develop players that are of the quality. And we were lucky enough to have two of those guys on the team. You know, the last couple of years, you know, we lost one of them, you know, uh, to, to Boston. But, um, you know, to have a player like Chris Taylor and that can play all defensive positions, obviously, other, other than catcher or – and I, I bet he could play catcher too. You know, it seems like he's good at everything. Um, you know, and pitch. But they can play every – you know, all four infield positions. They can play all three outfield positions. They can fill in. They can do it for a fill-in. They can do it probably for an extensive period of time if you need them to. And then – um, when they go through it and they perform like a cleanup hitter and like they have in the last week, you see the value they add. And, and it's not just this one week. He's performed that way the whole season. And he's just, he's just had an unbelievable week. And, you know, what's hit almost 500 and uh, five home runs and, I don't know, 15 RBI or something in a week. I mean, you can see the capabilities he have plus the consistency he adds. And I think he's only gotten better um, – you know, and that's even tough to say for a guy like him. I mean, he's had a pretty good large body work, but I think definitely he's gotten better over this last four or five years. I feel like if there's one guy on this team that is irreplaceable, it's him for everything that you just said. Uh, not only yeah. can he play every position, but uh, the Dodgers bench this year has been very thin, especially without Kike and Jock and Taylor. With all these injuries, without him, the Dodgers are nowhere near their record no. 20 games above 500 no you know we, you need the stars you need you need the kershaws you need the bats you need like you said you need the max muncies you need those guys and then um you know you need the other end of those guys too that you know can step up you know these the babies the mckintries those guys who just keep coming you know they're uh you know some of the other guys that are just on the taxi squads back and forth between triple you know triple a and the big leagues that you know are filling for the two games and then you need guys like Taylor that just accept their assignment every day and figure out a way and not only figure it out, go out and, and are successful in a big way and whatever their name's called. I mean, I know for a fact, um, I text, I text Dave this in the spring, uh, when it was going on, I'm like, I mean, it's hard. I love the team. I love why we're on a team, but it's hard not to have, not to, uh, you know, have Chris Taylor as my, not my favorite player on this team. Yeah. And, you know, he just sent me a smiling emoji back, and you know, I I, I put words in his mouth, but I, I took that as he kind of felt the same way I did. Um, you know, so I mean, it's a team full of great players. Obviously, you know, I mean, JT um, can't say enough the way he's performed. Max Muncy, for the most part, has carried this team and willed them to be you know in the spot. I mean, where would this team be without Max Muncy right now? Right, with the offensive production he's put up, where would this team be? Um, you know, probably not in a very good spot. So, but with that being said, Chris Taylor, you can say that just as much. And we know the pitchers, the pitching staff's done well. Um, you know, has has done their job. Guys have stepped up. You know, Julio, all those guys. But 
when you look at it, the most important part we're looking at this off season, um, you know, we know Kershaw, what he means, this organization, the legacy he leads, uh, you know, the first, we first ballot hall of famer. Um, you can mark him down right now. doesn't have to pitch another game in, in his career. He's going to be in the hall of fame, uh, in, in five years, the day he calls it quits. Uh, you know, the, you know, uh, some of the other guys that are going to be free agents and, um, I think you bring up the greatest point um, on need, on wants. I think Chris Taylor fills all those and checks a lot of boxes if you put all those guys up there. Yeah, because if Seager walks away on a bigger contract, Taylor can also play shortstop if you're not able to find another replacement for Seager. So that's kind of where it starts. And I don't know if you agree with this, Andrew Friedman created Ben Zobrist in Tampa Bay, and the yeah. Cubs gave Zobrist a pretty sizable contract. And it feels like Chris Taylor is now the Dodgers' version of Ben Zobrist. Yeah, for sure. I, I mean, you know, and and just to have a positive, you know, the positive I want on Seager and, and make sure, like Seager's a MVP caliber player. Um, you know, so we we can't deny that, but. Um, like you said, MVP caliber players. How many can you have on on the Dodger team, right? Can you have Can you have Mookie Betts? Can you have uh, you know Bellinger? Can you have uh, Max Muncy? I mean, JT is in the so how many can you have? You can't have that many, just because that's how the economics of the games work. And like you said, if Seager goes off to a bigger contract, I think Taylor is the guy who can fill in. Um, I'm not saying he's going to replace him. No, by no means can he replace, um, you know, the MVP numbers that I believe uh, Seager and we saw you when know, he's healthy. When he's healthy, yeah, when he's, when he's healthy, right? But like you know, there's the those are MVP type numbers. But can he do it sufficient enough where you're not going to miss and then do it? I I believe so. Um, so yeah, I think there's some tough decisions moving forward for this team. But the tougher decisions are what's going to happen in three days to you know, help or secure this team's, whether it's confidence or whether it's just, you know, even on paper, what's going to secure this team, uh, you know, in the right position to move forward because this is going to be a tough stretch, real tough stretch here. So we'll uh, break it all down next week, and maybe next week you'll let me know where you are. Put the tracking uh, on. Yeah, Put gonna, the tracking on. I'll make sure to leave before I let you know. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Dre. Yeah, thanks a lot, Dave. All right, there he goes, Andre Ethier. Another great week with him. Obviously a big fan of Chris Taylor, and that fan club seems to be growing daily. He has had a tremendous season, maybe eclipsing even his breakout year of 2017. Thanks also to Ron Renneke, who went down memory lane to share his thoughts as a rookie, being part of that 1981 Dodgers team that was celebrated at Dodgers Stadium last weekend. So appreciate Ron taking the time out for us, and thanks to you for listening. We will be back with Extra Innings, presented by Corona Extra, next week. See ya. We don't have to do anything extra. They've made a choice. This has been the Extra Innings Podcast. Extra Dodger content for Dodger fans who can't get enough of the blue. Like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And don't miss a single Dodger game at AM570LA Sports on the iHeartRadio app.